Over the next six, uh, five weeks as we lead up to Easter, we're going to be taking some of the phrases or some of the statements that Jesus made in those, those last moments, those final words, because there's so much that's involved in that. And, and we're going to take five of those seven last statements, and we're going to, we're going to look at them, and we're going to look at them in the light of, of, of what Jesus had to say and in reference to how it affects us and how we apply those, those areas to our lives. Um, and we're going to start out today in Matthew chapter 27. Um, but I remember being in, in middle school, and uh, I, we were on a trip. Sherry, it was a youth trip. And uh, I, they used to always sit me in the front because I always got in trouble. And so they made me sit on the front of the bus, and I don't know why that was. But I was sitting on the front of the bus, and uh, when we would load the bus, they would always call out names to make sure we had kids Everybody was there. So Smith, Jones, Fentress, here, 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 you know. So everybody was there, and so we off and we left. About an hour and a half down the road, somebody starts asking for this kid, and we can't find him. And it's like, well, he said he was here. You know, he had some great adult chaperones and counselors with us that time. And uh, there was this panic that went through. We had left this kid. We're an hour and a half down the road. And so um, they back then we didn't have cell phones and all that kind of stuff, so they pulled over at a convenience station, called him back to where we had eat, and found out that the kid um, had left with a state patrolman, and they were trying to run us down because the kid knew where we were going the next stop. And so they finally met up, and we had waited there for like an hour or so for them to catch up with us. So the first thing, and we're playing and laughing, and get, but the first, the kid gets up, and he, he has this serious look as he walks onto the bus, and you know, we all thought we were going to jail because these days in time, you would go to jail if you would do something like that, child endangerment. But he gets on the bus and he says this, you left me. Can you imagine the adults? We didn't leave you. <laughs> you left me. Why did you leave me? We didn't think we left you. Um, I remember being in high school, in senior in high school, and uh, I was at the skating rink. That was where we went to hang out. And from time to time, I would go to the skating rink and hang out. And I remember one of my friends had gone off with some friends that she shouldn't have been hanging out with at that time, and they were doing some things they shouldn't have been doing, and they brought her to the skating rink, and they left her. And I remember this girl sitting there with her hands in her head, um, filled with alcohol, by the way, sobbing. She's drunk. I just happened to be there. And she, the only thing she could whisper to me was, they left me. They left me. I thought... I thought they were my friends, and they left me. You ever had a situation like that? You felt like you've been abandoned. Maybe it was a, a spouse that left. Maybe it was a friend that left. Maybe it was some, you were left in some specific place, but you felt abandoned. You ever been in a situation where you felt like you were abandoned? <clears throat> felt like you were all alone? How many of you have ever felt like God had abandoned you? You ever been in a situation where you felt like God had, God had left and he had abandoned and he wasn't there? You ever had that situation? Honesty's tough sometimes. To bring you sort of up to date and where we're going to be at today, Jesus had been tried. The crowds and the religious leaders had demanded to Pilate that Jesus be crucified. But Pilate knew that he was innocent, and he knew that the religious leaders were only angry and jealous because they didn't like what Jesus stood for. 
So in front of the crowd, Pilate takes a bowl of water and he washes his hands and he says this. He says, this man, I'll not have anything else to do with him. His blood is on your hands and I'm washing myself. I'm innocent of this because I don't believe this man is guilty. And he handed over Jesus to the Roman soldiers and they would strip him of his outer clothing and they would put a scarlet robe on him as well as a crown of thorns and they would put a stick in his hand to represent a scepter like they would put and give to a king. And right there in the middle of that area they would spit on him and they would mock him. They would make fun of him. And when they were done they would take those clothes of his and they would put them back on him and then they would lead him off down a road to be crucified and Jesus would take that cross down to that place where that he would be crucified and along the road there was a man by the name of Simon who was ordered to pick up that cross and to take it the rest of the way and when they got to that place where that they would crucify Jesus they would nail him to a cross and they would attach above his head a sign that read these words this is Jesus the king of the Jews and in John, it tells us that that sign was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek so that everybody there would be able to read that sign. And it just wasn't that they did this to Jesus because they would do this to those people that they crucified because these people that were being crucified were put up so that everybody else would see. Don't you dare mess with us because we're Rome. Don't you, don't you dare. We want you to understand how powerful and how mighty. And this is a statement to you to know why this man was being crucified. And so they're here. Jesus is being crucified. And they're in the midst of mocking and making fun of him. And that's where we're going to pick this story up today in Matthew chapter 27, verse 38, if you'd read along with me. And it says this, two revolutionaries or criminals, that's what we would call somebody that would be, have been convicted of a crime, were crucified with him, one on the right side and one on the left. And so you have Jesus in the center, you've got a criminal on the right, and you've got a criminal on the left. We're going to learn a little bit more about these guys a little bit later down the line, but in verse 39 it says this, The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. A little bit earlier on in Jesus' ministry, there was a time where Jesus had come into the, to the city for the, the celebration of Passover. And when he came in, the temple was filled with money changers and people that were selling different items. And Jesus came in and he basically turned their tables over and he ran them off. And the religious leaders looked and said, Why, by what authority do you have to come in and act in some, such a way? Who gives you the authority to come in and do something like this? And Jesus' response was, well, my father. And they said this, your father would then do a miracle to prove who you are. And so Jesus' response was, you destroy this temple and, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they thought that he was talking about the temple that they were standing in front of, but that wasn't what he was talking about because he was prophesying what? His impending death that would come in Jesus' resurrection. And so, um, so this is what's taking place, and this is basically what they were saying. Where is your God now? Where is your God now? Look at verse 41. The leading priest, the teachers of the law, the elders also mocked Jesus. These are the religious people, guys. These are the priests. These are the guys that have been supposedly set apart. And they're mocking Jesus. And they're saying, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. 
So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. And then look at the next three words. He trusted him. He trusted him, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were there crucified him and crucified with him, ridiculed him, him in the same way. Now we know that one of those criminals would eventually come back and repent. And Jesus would make a statement to him. But I want you to understand and listen to this. In other words, they were saying, you trusted God. You trusted God, but where is your God right now? Do you still trust Him? You're hanging here on a cross. Look at the predicament that you're in. Are you really going to say that you're the Son of God? Do you still trust Him? Now, let's think about this just for a second. What would you have said if you had been standing in the crowd? Would you have been defending Jesus? Would you have been standing up for him? Or would you have been one of the crowd that would have been mocking him too? What, what would your have response have been? Here's the root word to the, to the word trust. And that root word uh, is, is pytho. It's a Greek word. And what that word means is to convince or to rely with an inward certainty to have full confidence or complete trust. You trust God, you have an inward confidence, you have complete confidence, full confidence, complete trust. You have an inward certainty that God is, is, is and you trust in that? You trust in Him even in the situation that you're in? You know, when we're going through good times, it's easy to trust the Lord, isn't it? But here's Jesus in the midst of this predicament, and they're saying to Him, you still trust Him? How many times when things aren't going well is when our trust begins to wane? And the fundamental question in every one of our lives is this. Somewhere, some point, sometime in your life, you're going to have to ask yourself this question, and you're going to have to answer it. Do I really trust him? Do I really trust him? See, because from the beginning of time, Satan has tried to, to undermine the character and the authority and the nature and the goodness of who God is. I mean, you remember the story in Adam and Eve. Do you really believe? Do you really think? And do you know he does the same exact thing to us today? Do you really think? Do you really believe? Is there really an inward trust? Is there really an inward security? Is there really full confidence? Do you really believe? I had somebody call me the other day and they said this to me. Do you ever doubt? And I want to say, oh, well, no. I never doubt. I never struggle. I never have those difficulties. But I would have lied. I mean, just think in the past week how many times I've questioned God. Think how many times in the past week that I've said, God, are you really there? Is this what you're wanting us to do? God, Wow. Unbelievable. I remember as a little kid asking myself the question, God, why? Having those doubts, walking through difficult times, or walking through those mists of darkness, even now, and I've shared this with you before and I will continue. I remember when Meredith and I were dealing with the, in, in, the issue of infertility. God, why? What in the world is going on? What's taking place? But you know, it's so easy for us to declare, I trust God when we've got the money in the bank. It's so easy for us to declare, 
I trust God when I've got that job lined up. It's so easy to say, I trust God when I've got three weeks or three months of work lined up, isn't it, Kenny? But man, all of a sudden, in the phone calls, phone calls stop and you start saying what? Okay, God, am I doing something wrong? Okay, God, are you really going to bless me? Okay, God, what does this look like? And I just, <laughs> wow. It's so easy for us to declare our trust. But when things have a way of changing, when all of a sudden sickness shows up, difficulty shows up, tough times show up, lack of money comes in, you know, or whatever, and all of a sudden things get dark. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 27. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land. Remember, Jesus is being crucified until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. And this is what he said. Ali! Ali! Lema! Sabatani! Ali! Ali! Lema! Sabatani. He doesn't trust God. <laughs> I mean, God of me? God of me? Why have you forsaken me? And they're thinking Jesus is crying out because of his doubt. All of a sudden, he's hanging on the cross, and Jesus is responding as a result of doubt now has come over him. And that was never the issue, guys. It was an appeal. It was a cry. It wasn't a cry because they had been abusing him. See, the whole time, Jesus had endured the physical pain, the mental pain, the verbal abuse. But the reason that he was crying out, it was because he had been separated from his father. And you know why? Because of you. Because he became sin who knew no sin. That's why. And the pain must have been so unbearable at that moment in time. But Jesus wasn't crying out because of the pain. He was crying out because for the first time he had felt what it was like to be separated from the Father and to be, feel like he was abandoned and left. Have you ever been at that place in your life where you're crying out and you're saying, God, where are you? God, where? go back and read the Psalms when somebody cries out and says, God, where are you? I feel as if I've been separated and Jesus is, is crying out. And I read this this past week and this is so true. See, in the Old Testament, the blood sacrificed, the sheep was sacrificed uh, for the shepherd. By the law of Moses, the sheep would be sacrificed to bring a right relationship with God for the shepherd. But it was in the New Testament that the good shepherd would be sacrificed for the sheep because the scripture says in Isaiah, for we are all like sheep. We've gone astray and we've turned it everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sins of us all. The interesting thing about this is when he cried out, my God, my God, Usually when Jesus would talk about his father, he used the word Abba or Daddy or Father. But here he uses the word My God, Theos, True God, Godhead. And this is probably one of the saddest verses we'll ever find in the Scriptures. And the, there was a guy by the name of Martin Luther that says, How in the world can God forsake 
God. And the question was, or the answer was, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't forsake God. Christ, when he came to earth, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and that flesh dwelt among us. Philippians, we come to learn that Jesus, when He came to earth, He set aside His, He set aside the attributes of God. He set those things aside. Why? In Philippians chapter 2, it says, and I'll read it for you. Though He was God, He did not think of Himself equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, He gave up those divine privileges. He emptied Himself. He, become, he took the humble position of a slave and He was born as a human king. And when He appeared in human form, He humbled Himself in obedience to God and He died a criminal's death on a cross. We don't understand it. It's one of the difficult things. Here is Jesus, the God-man. But He emptied Himself. He poured Himself out. He gave Himself up. He voluntarily submitted Himself. He temporarily set those powers aside. But at the resurrection, He, he assumed those responsibilities back up and went back to sit at the right hand of the Father, sitting and interceding on behalf of us, guys. And that's why we can have confidence that He'll never abandon us, that He'll never forsake us. You know, the Scripture says in John 14, Trust in God, trust also in me, for in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am one day you may be also. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? But still, in the middle of all of that, there are those times that we come that we just can't seem to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And we cry out and we say, Just where is God. Maybe you've got a story similar to these stories. Hi, my name is Lisa, and in July of 2008, my husband and I went in for a routine ultrasound at 20 weeks. We found out then that her baby didn't have a heartbeat. Hi, my name is Scott. About, it was an early morning, I got a phone call, and it was about my grandson being taken to the hospital. And he was my little buddy. He was, he was the world to me. I have other grandkids, but Elba was, was special. Um, my name is Deidre. about a week when, when he finally uh, passed away. 
So that was the hardest thing that we ever had to go through. And it was the hardest point in my life. And I questioned and questioned and questioned why, why was this baby taken from us when I never got to hold him or kiss his face. There are those times in life we just don't understand. There are, the, there are those times in life when it just doesn't make sense. And the truth is we don't always have to understand, do we? We want to. We want to be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. We want to be able to, to connect them all in the right way so that we can understand and so that we can see what God sees or know what God knows. But the reality is, is that won't happen, guys. Not on this side. It's not going to happen. It was Paul that said when he was trying to compare now with eternity and talking about our maturity in faith, he said this. He said, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, but then, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then, but then, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Um, some of you guys know that Caleb had a difficult time with his tonsils back at, at Christmas. I mean, it was a mess. And he's not been the same kid since. Anytime he sees blood, he just goes crazy now. That used to be Abby. Now it's Caleb. And, uh, but there was another incident that I had dealt with Caleb back several years ago. And uh, he had a bad infection in his leg. And, and we thought that he had MRSA. And so I had taken him in uh, to the hospital one night because his leg was real hot and, and we can tell there was an issue. And so I took him up to the hospital and while we were there, they started poking around and giving him shots and digging around in it, okay, trying to clean it out. That worked for a little bit, but then something had to break. And I looked at the doctors, I said, we're not doing this no more. This kid is screaming. I'm trying to hold, I've got an arm and a, you know, a head and I've got him pressed down. And he's looking at me, and I'm just thinking, this is just, I'm glad Meredith's not here. Lord have mercy. And I said, guys, call the anesthesiologist. Let's put him out. I said, we're not doing this no more. And so they gave him the, the medicine to put him out so that they could go ahead and clean him up. And as he's, go, as he's fading out, he's looking at me, and the eyes are rolled in the back of his head. And he looks at me and says, Daddy, Daddy, they're skinning me alive. They're skinning me alive. <laughs> you know, Daddy, don't let them skin me alive. And I'm thinking, dear Jesus. You know, and at that time, he didn't have a clue what was going on. He didn't have a clue why he was experiencing that pain. Um, he, only thing he could tell me as he's going through all of this, finally, I think his last words where he passed out was, I love you. <laughs> He was incapable of understanding. Just as we're so incapable of understanding the pain, it's so, just as so incapable if we are as understanding so many times God's divine purposes, especially when it involves difficulty. God, why? God, why? There's three things I want to tell you today that I want you to be able to hold on to. These are, these are going to help you because you will 
walk through those times that you feel like you're abandoned. And God's Word gives us some things that we can hold on to. Three things I want you to write down really quickly. Number one, Number one, it was in Mark chapter 10 that there was a, a conversation between Jesus and a, and a young man, and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's no one good but my Father in heaven. First thing I want you to understand is that God is good. That word good in Greek uh, means agathos, excellent, upright, and honorable. And what Jesus was saying is my father is excellent, he is upright, he is honorable, he is good. So many times I was talking to Sandy prior to, our view of God is based on our circumstances. I mean, think about that. God is good. <laughs> oh, God's not so good. God is good. God's not so good. Um, I want to tell you this, guys. Listen to me. Can I tell you in the middle of cancer, God is good? Can I tell you in the middle of death, God is good? Can I tell you in the middle of loss of job, God is good? Can I tell you in the dealing with a, a difficult child, God is good? Can I tell you in grieving loss and in war and in earthquakes and in tsunamis and in radiation, can I tell you that God is good? You'll never change. And that's a truth. And you need to lock your hands into that. So write it down, underline it, do whatever you need to do because this will help you out in the midst of the times and you feel like God's abandoned you. Cling on to that. God is good. Latch on. The second thing I want you to understand is this. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, of, uh, Paul said this. God is for us, so who can be against us? How many times do we think that God is out here waiting on us to do bad things so that he can throw judgment down on top of us? Paul said, listen, God is for us, so who can be against us? You know, when Sean, when we were growing up, still growing up, even now, we always wanted the best people on our team. There was always that one big kid that always, you know, seemed to be the, the, the biggest athlete, the best athlete. And why did you want him on your side? Because you wanted to win. I want this guy on my side so that if I've got him on my side, I can win. And Paul is saying, listen, man, guess who's on your side? Guess who's on your team? And he said, if God is on your team, you're going to win. It's a big deal. If God is for us, who can be against us? It was Job that cried out, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. God, the conceiver, the one who breathed the stars into space, the beginning and the end, and the Bible says that he is for us. Man, isn't that awesome? To understand that, that God is not only good in everything about him, he's trustworthy in every situation that you go through, whatever it is. You can latch on to the fact that God is good. And not only that, he is for you. Third thing. He's with me. The writer in Hebrews chapter 13 says, 13.5, I will never, underline the word never, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Now listen, the Greek for this is ume. And now I always learn coming up, you don't ever say never. Is that right? Don't you ever say never because you know if you say never, you're going to end up doing what... What that, you know what it is. And we use that in our terminology. You might as a spouse, as a husband, say, well, honey, you never. You ever said that? Don't, don't say what it was to get in trouble. 
We just got through the marriage series. Or we might say to our, our, our wife, said our husband, well, honey, you never pick up your underwear. I'll say that for you because I know that's going to come out somewhere. Or you may say to your children, you never clean up your room. You ever said that? You never pick up your toys. And then listen to what the writer says. He said, I will never fail you. That word in the Greek means certainly not. By no means never. Quit. Done. Complete. Never. He will never leave us. And he will never abandon you. You can lock it up. Latch on to it, guys, because God is for us. God is good. And God is with us in the midst of everything. And you can latch on to those things. And so the big question for us is this. Do you really trust him? He trusted in God. He trusted in God, but now he's hanging on the cross. Does he still trust him? Lori trusted in God until, does she still trust him? Danny trusted in God, but does Danny still trust him? Do you trust in God? That's the big question. Do you trust in God? You know, the other day when I got the phone call, when Diane called me about Butch dying, it used to be when I, when I would come through difficult situations, and I'm still working through a lot of things, my first response wasn't why. My first response was, God, in the midst of all this, what are you doing? What is it that you're doing that I don't see? What is it that, that's taking place that I don't have a clue what's going on? Because, God, I know this. I know that you're good. And I know that you're for me. I know those things, and I know that you're with me. So, God, what is it that I don't see? What is it in your plan that I need to be paying attention to? So many times we might ask the question, but why did God turn his back on Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For, for God made Christ who knew, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Why did God have to forsake Jesus? Because it was there on the cross that Jesus would take our sin, murder, adultery, deceitfulness, lust, lying, pornography, cheating, racism, hatred, and everything that did exist, everything that does exist, and everything that will exist. And Jesus became sin there. And God had to look away because His eyes are too righteous even to look upon sin. And He died for our sins so that we could be forgiven once and for all. When it didn't make sense, Peter said He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we, can't, so we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. By His wounds we were healed. See, it was on the cross that when people died on a cross back then, they died because of rebelliousness towards Rome. But Jesus didn't die because of rebelliousness towards Rome. That was the implication. But you know why Jesus died on a cross, Troy? He died on a cross. Not because of his rebellion towards Rome, but Mark. But because of our rebellion towards God. That's why Jesus died on a cross. For us. And in 1 Peter it says that he died for our sins once for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. 
He suffered that physical death, but he was raised to life by the Holy Spirit. That's powerful words. And there's so many times that we just don't understand what God is doing because we don't see what's next. But God is at work. Look at the second part of this video. In all circumstances. You know when you feel like you've been abandoned? When you feel like God has left you regardless of what circumstance that you may find yourself in? You've got a response. You either run to him or you run away from him. That's it. You're either going to run to him or you're going to run away from him. And man, listen, I know where some of you guys are at. I know some of the difficulty that you're experiencing in life. I know some of the troubles and some of the overwhelming situations that some of you guys are dealing with. It's called life. It's called sin. And that's why Jesus died. Several years ago, I got a phone call and I'm finishing up because listen, this is what Brian says. I'm just, that's all I got to say about that. This is all I got to say about it. One more thing. I was off. It was during the summer. It was vacation. School was shut down. I get a phone call. Uh, one day, panic on the other side of the line. Sydney, Sydney, there's been a shooting at the school. The principal has been killed. Several administrators are down, and they have got the school surrounded. Helicopters are flying over. Um, SWAT team is all over the place. <sighs> it's a mess. I'm like going, what, what, what's going on? I mean, 
And he goes, I don't know. I can't find out anything. I'm trying to get information. And he said, but I can't get anything. I'm thinking, this just can't be true. No, it's true. I've been sitting here listening to it. I'm down at the school now. It's chaos all over the place. I've been trying to get through to, to, uh, to, to the police. They can't tell me anything. I've been trying to get through with the sheriff's department. I can't find anything. This is a radio guy. This is the guy that does all the radios. And I said, man, call me back. I'll hang up the phone. I start calling the principal on the phone. I got his cell phone number. I cannot reach him. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what in the world are we going to do? But you know, the first thing that went into my mind was this. I had been building an intentional relationship with this person for X amount of years, and I had never talked to him about his faith in Christ. The first thing I thought about was, is he going to heaven or is he going to hell? That's the first thing. That's the first thing that went into my mind. I didn't think about why. I didn't think about all that other stuff. The first thing I thought about is I had spent all this time building this intentional relationship with this principle to be able to share Christ. I'm out of town. I blow it because I don't ever get bold enough and courageous enough to talk to him about his faith. A couple of minutes later, this friend called me on the phone. He goes, I feel like an idiot. I said, man, what's wrong? He goes, you're not going to believe this. He said, they were doing an unhidden, uh, silent, um, mock shooting, and they were using the school. I'm thinking, oh, golly, bum. All this stuff I've been going through in my heart and mind, and what I, you know, I was thinking all these different things. The principal was out of town. <laughs> he was out of town. I was able to get through with him a couple days later and talk to him on the phone. I didn't tell him anything. I just said, I need to see you next week. When you, I said, I need to see you. When are you coming back into town? He was in Colorado with his daughter. He said, I'll be into town. Uh, X amount. This is why I said, I need to meet with you immediately. He says, fine. We set up a meeting. I walked into his meeting, and I looked at him, and I started to tell the story to him, and he, he, we start laughing together. And I go, this is why I'm here. This was Charlie McDaniel, for those of you that may know Charlie McDaniel's principal at Leesburg High School. Ask him the story. And I sat across the table with him, and I looked him in the eye and said, Charlie, I've, you and I have been through a lot of different things together, and I've been building a relationship with you now for X amount of years. And when I heard this the other day, I said, something went through my mind, and I'm here to discuss that with you today. And he said, what, Sidney, what is that? And I said, Charlie, with all the time that we spent together, I have never talked to you about your personal relationship with the Lord. And I'm here to ask you this question today. If, if that would have been you, and if you would have died that day, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And he looked at me, and this is his response, not my response, and I ain't making it up. This is verbatim his words. I am embarrassed that you have to ask me a question like that. Lori, you remember this? I am embarrassed that you have to ask me a question like that. So I'm going to ask you a question today because I don't have time to spend time with all of you. See, this is what's on my mind. This is why I spent time weeping the other day with the passion of Nehemiah because my desire is to rebuild the walls, to give strength back to the church, not to do more church, not to do more programming, but to be the church. And the first start of that is for you to come to the place that you realize that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, for the propitiation for you, that he took your place. And for those of us that are believers, the, the judgment to come for us isn't, isn't in reference to, uh, to wrath. It's in reference to, to those being rewarded for the things that we've done. We've bypassed that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's paid that price already. But my question for you is today, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? 
Where would you spend eternity? It's either or. I can't answer it for you. You're the only one that can answer that question. Jesus Christ has already done all he's going to do. Now you've got to have a response. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to respond? Are you going to run to him? Are you going to run away from him? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thank you for this day. Man, we've learned so much and time is over. But Father, I thank you so much that you know the details of every one of our lives. God, as painful as life may be, we acknowledge today that even in the midst of our lonely times, there are times of question. Father, but may we come to the place that we realize that you're all that we need. Father, I pray for those that may be walking through difficult times that they would hold on to those truths that we've talked about from your word today. Father, that we would understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that as believers that we have the opportunity to live with. And Father, it's living in you and being obedient to you that we find peace in our circumstances that is beyond anything that we could ever dream or imagine. God, I so much desire to trust you and to live in obedience to you and to you alone. Jesus, you died so that we could be forgiven. If you've never trusted Christ, what is it that keeps you from making that so much important decision? What is it that keeps you from looking to Him and crying out and asking Him for help? Making a decision to follow Jesus is somewhat simple, but it's the greatest thing that you'll ever do. Number one, admitting the fact that you're a sin. That's a tough thing to do, to come to the place to understand that you're a sinner. The second thing is not only realizing that, but there was a price to be paid, and Jesus Christ took that price. He took that place, and he paid that price for us, a price that we couldn't pay. He paid a debt that he didn't know to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. He paid it to admit our sin, to realize that Jesus died on the cross, and to cry out to him and say, God, I believe I want to trust you. I don't understand it all, but Jesus, I want to trust you. And if you're here today and you've never, you've never trusted Christ, what is it that keeps you from making that decision today and running towards him? Today, if you've never made that decision, I'm just going to ask you just afterwards, just come see me. I want to know Christ. And I know it's going to be easy because I'm not calling you out and having you raise a hand or anything else. I know it's going to be really easy for you to walk out that door. I'm just going to call you out to be courageous today and say, listen, I want to come. If you don't see him, go see, uh, come up here and you just stand with me. Somebody else may come and stand. You come and stand right here at the end of our service. But I cry out to you to be courageous. Father, I am so thankful for what you're doing. Father, may we be a courageous people and obedient people because God, what's at stake Gosh, there's so much at stake. This community's at stake. Our children are at stake. The generations to come are at stake. And you're just calling us to a place of obedience. Father, may we be faithful people. God, we love you today. We love you. May those that need to come, come this morning. And may we leave this building to go and to have an influence in the lives of people and to be your billboards 
Help us trust you more in Jesus' name. Amen.